Welcome to Fast Asleep, listeners. What can I tell you about the author of our next two episodes, Elizabeth Parsons, also known as Elizabeth Parsons Warner? Mysteriously, I can't tell you much. So please, message me if you know more. This story is about a young woman whose life will forever be changed after a simple evening and it's rightly considered a masterpiece. So let's tuck in and enjoy part one of The Nightingales Sing. Through the fog, the car went up the hill, whining in the second gear, up the sandy road, that ran between the highest and broadest stone walls that Joanna had ever seen. There were no trees at all, only the bright green cattle-cropped pastures sometimes visible above the walls, and sweet fern and juniper bushes all dim in the opaque air and the wan light of an early summer evening. Phil, driving the creaking station wagon with Dexterous recklessness said to her, Oh, I hope it's the right road. Nothing looks familiar in this fog, and I've only been here once before. It was nice of him to ask us, me especially, said Joanna, who was young and shy and grateful for favors. Oh, yeah, he he loves company, Phil said. I wish we could have got away sooner to be here to help him unload the horses, though. Still, Chris will be there. Is Chris the girl who got thrown today? Joanna asked, remembering the slight figure in the black coat going down in a spectacular fall with a big bay horse. Phil nodded and brought the car so smartly around a bend that the two tack boxes in the back of it skidded across the floor. Then he stopped at last on the level at a five-barred gate that suddenly appeared out of the mist. I'll do the gate said Joanna, and jumped out. It opened easily, and she swung it back against the fence and held it while Phil drove through, and then the engine stalled. And in the silence, she stood for a moment, her head raised, sniffing the damp, clean air. There was no sound, not the sound of a bird or a lamb or the running of water over stones or of wind in leaves. There was only a great stillness and a sense of height and strangeness and the smell of grass and dried dung. This was the top of the world. This lost hillside, green and bare, ruled across by enormous old walls. The work, so it seemed, of giants. In the air, there was a faint movement as of a great wind far away breathing through the fog. Joanna pulled the gate shut and got in again with Phil, and they drove on along the smooth crest of the hill, the windshield wipers swinging slowly to and fro, and Phil's sharp red-headed profile drawn clearly against the gray background. She was grateful to him for taking her to the horse show that afternoon, but she was timid about the invitation to supper that it had led to. Still, 
There was no getting out of it now. Phil was the elder brother of a school friend of hers, Carol Watson. He was so old, he might as well have been of another generation. And there was about him, still incredibly unmarried at the age of 31, the mysterious aura that bachelor elder brothers always possess. Carol was supposed to have come up with them, but she developed chicken pox the day before. However, Phil had kindly offered to take Joanna just the same, since he had had to ride and he had kept a fatherly eye on her whenever he could. Then a friend of his named Sandy Sheldon, a breeder of polo ponies, had asked him to stop at his farm for supper on the way home. Phil had asked Joanna if she wanted to go and, well, she had said yes, knowing that he wanted to. Being a good child, she had telephoned her family to tell them she would not be home until late. Whose place? Her mother's faraway voice had asked doubtfully. Well, don't be late, will you, dear? And, oh, call me up when you're leaving, won't you? It's a miserable night to be driving. I can't call you, Joanna had said. There's no telephone. Oh. Well, couldn't you call me up from somewhere after you've left? The faint voice had said. You know how father worries and Phil's such a fast driver. I'll try to. Exasperation had made Joanna's voice stiff. What earthly good was telephoning? She hung up the receiver with a bang, showing a temper she would not have dared display in the presence of her parents. Now, suddenly out of the fog, great buildings loomed close, and they drove through an open gate into a farmyard with gray wooden barns on two sides of it and stone walls on the other two sides. A few white hands rushed away across the dusty ground, and a gray cat, sitting on the pole of a blue dump cart, stared coldly at the car as Phil stopped it beside a battered horse van. The instant he stopped, a springer ran barking out of one of the barn doors and a man appeared behind him and came quickly out to them, up to Joanna's side of the car, where he put both hands on the door and bent his head a little to look in at them. Sandy, this is Joanna Gibbs, said Phil. Sandy looked at her without smiling, but not at all with unfriendliness only with calm consideration. Hello, Joanna, he said, and opened the door for her. Hello, she said, and then forgot to be shy, for instead of uttering the kind of asinine polite remarks she was accustomed to hearing from strangers, he did not treat her as a stranger at all, but said immediately, You're just in time to help put the horses away. Chris keeled over the minute we got here and I had to send her to bed and Jake's gone after one of the cows that strayed off. He spoke in a light, slow, western voice. He was a small man about Phil's age with a flat, freckled face, light brown, intelligent eyes and faded brown hair cut short all over his round head. He looked very sturdy and stocky walking toward the van beside Phil's thin New England elegance. 
and he had a self-confidence that sprang simply from his own good nature. Quite a fog you greet us with, said Phil, taking off his coat and hanging it on the latch of the open door of the van. Inside, in the gloom, four long, shining heads were turned toward them, and one of the horses gave a gentle, anxious whinny. Yes, we get them once in a while, said Sandy. I like them. So do I, said Joanna. He turned to her and said, Look, there's really no need in your staying out here. Run in the house where it's warm and see if the invalid's all right. <laughs> you can go through that gate. He pointed to a small sagging gate at a gap in the wall. All right, I will, she answered, and she started off across the yard toward the end gable of a house that she could see rising dimly above some apple trees, the spaniel going with her. Joanna, Sandy called after her just as she reached the gate. Yes, she turned back. The two men were standing by the runway of the van. They both looked at her, seeing a tall young girl in a blue dress and sweater with her hair drawn straight back over her head and tied at the back of her neck in a chignon with a black bow and made more beautiful and airy than she actually was by the watery air. Put some wood on the kitchen fire as you go in, will you? Sandy shouted at her. The wood box is right by the stove. All right, she answered again, and she and the spaniel went through the little gate in the wall. A path led from the gate under the apple trees where the grass was cut short and neat to a door in the L of the house. Now the house itself was big and old and plain, almost square with a great chimney settled firmly across the ridge pole. And presumably it faced down the hill toward the sea. It was conventional and unimposing with white painted trim and covered with gray old shingles. There was a lilac bush by the front door and a bed of unbedded red lilies around one of the apple trees. But except for these, there was neither shrubbery nor flowers. It looked austere and pleasing to Joanna. And she went in through the door in the L and saw the wood box beside the black stove. As she poked some pieces of birch wood down into the snapping fire, a girl's voice called from upstairs. Sandy! Joanna put the lid on the stove and went through a tiny hallway into a living room. An enclosed staircase went up out of one corner, and she went to it and called up. Sandy's in the barn. Are you all right? Oh, oh I'm fine the voice answered, hard and clear. Just a little shaky when I move around. Come on up. Joanna climbed up. Immediately at the top of the stairs was a big square bedroom, papered in a beautiful faded paper with scrolls and wheat sheaves. On a four-posted bed lay a girl, not many years older than Joanna, 
covered to the chin with a dark patchwork quilt. Her short black hair stood out against the pillow, and her face was colorless and expressionless, and at the same time, likable and amusing. She did not sit up when Joanna came in. She clasped her hands behind her head and looked at her with blue eyes under lowered black lashes. You came with Phil, didn't you? she asked. Yes, said Joanna, moving hesitantly up to the bed and leaning against one of the footposts. They're putting the horses away and they thought I'd better come in and, and, and see how you were. Oh, well, I'm fine, said Chris again. I'll be okay in a few minutes. I lit on my head, I guess, by the way it feels, but I, I don't remember a thing. Joanna remembered. It had not seemed possible that that black figure could emerge, apparently from directly underneath the bay horse, and after sitting a minute on the grass with hanging head, could get up and walk grimly away, ignoring the animal who had made such a clumsy error and was being led out by an attendant in a long tan coat. She also remembered that when people were ill or in pain, you brought them weak tea and aspirin and hot water bottles and that they were usually in bed wishing to suffer behind partly lowered shades, not just lying under a quilt with a fog pressing against darkening windows. But there was something here that did not belong in the land of tea and hot water bottles, a land that indeed now seemed on another planet. Joanna knew this, though she did not know what alternatives to offer, so she made no suggestions, but just stood there looking with shy politeness around the room. It was a cold, sparsely furnished place, and it looked very bare to Joanna, most of whose life so far had been spent in comfortable, chintz-warmed interiors with carpets that went from wall to wall. In this room, so obviously untouched for the past hundred years or more, there was only a bed and a tall chest of drawers, a washstand, uh, with a gold and white bowl and pitcher and two plain painted chairs oh, and a threadbare oval braided rug beside the bed. There were no curtains at the four windows and practically no paint left on the uneven old floor. The fireplace was black and damp smelling and filled with ashes and charred paper that rose high above the feet of the andirons. Joanna could not make out whether it was a guest room or whose room it was. Here and there were scattered possessions that might have been male or female. A boot jack, some frame snapshots, a comb, a dirty towel, some socks, a magazine on the floor. Chris's black coat was lying on a chair and her bowler hat stood on the bureau. It was a blank room, bleak in the failing light. Chris watched her from under her 
half-closed lids, waiting for her to speak. And presently, Joanna said, Well, that was really an awful spill you had. Chris moved her head on the pillow and said, He's a brute of a horse. He'll never be fit to ride. I've schooled him for Mrs. Whitaker for a year now and ridden him in three shows, and I thought he was pretty well over his troubles. She shrugged and wrapped herself tighter in the quilt. She has sunk so much money in him, it's a crime. But he's just a brute, and I don't think I can do anything more with him. Of course, if she wants to go on paying me to ride him, okay. And her other horses are tops, so I haven't any kick, really. You can't have them all perfect. What does she bother with him for? asked Joanna. Well, she's cracked, like most horse show people, said Chris. They can't resist being spectacular exhibitionists or whatever they call it. Gotta have something startling and then more startling and so on. I must say this horse is something to see. He's beautiful. Her somewhat bored voice died away. Joanna contemplated all this seriously. It seemed to her an arduous yet dramatic way of earning one's living. She did not notice that there was nothing in the least dramatic about the girl on the bed beside her. Chris, for her part, was speculating more directly about Joanna, watching her, appreciating her looks, wondering what she was doing with Phil. Then, because she was not unkind and sensed that Joanna was at loose ends in the strange house, she said to her, suddenly leaving the world of horses for the domestic scene where women cozily collaborate over the comforts of their men. Is there a fire in the living room? I was too queasy to notice when I came in. If there isn't one, why don't you light it so it'll be warm when they come in? Oh, I'll look, said Joanna. I didn't notice either. Can I get you anything? Oh, no. I'll be down pretty soon, Chris said. I've got to start supper. Joanna went back down the little stairs. There was no fire in the living room, but a broken basket beside the fireplace was half full of logs, and she carefully laid these on the andirons and stuffed in some twigs and old comics and lit them. The tall flames sprang up into the black chimney, shiny with creosote. As they roared up, she sat on the floor and looked around the room. It was the same size as the bedroom above it, but it was comfortable and snug with plain gray walls and white woodwork. A fat sofa covered with dirty flowered linen stood in front of the fire. There were some big wicker chairs and four little carved Victorian chairs and a round table with big bowed legs covered with a red tablecloth. A high, handsome secretary stood against the long wall opposite the fire. Its veneer was peeling, and it was filled with tarnished silver cups and ribbon rosettes. A guitar lay on a chair. There were dog hairs on the sofa, and the floor was dirty, and 
Outside the windows, oh, there was nothingness. Joanna got up to look at the kitchen fire, put more wood on it, and returned to the living room. Overhead, she heard Chris moving around quietly, and she pictured her walking about the barren, dusty bedroom, combing her short black hair, tying her necktie, folding up the quilt, looking in the gloom for a lipstick. And suddenly a dreadful lonely sadness and longing came over her. The living room was growing dark too, and she would have lit the big nickel lamp standing on the table, but she didn't know how to, so she sat there, dreaming in the hot golden firelight. Presently, she heard the men's voices outside, and they came into the kitchen and stopped there to talk, one of them rattling the stove lids. Sandy came to the door and, seeing Joanna, said to her, Is Chris all right? Yes, I think so, Joanna said. Well, she said she was anyway. Well, I guess I'll just see, he said, and went running up the stairs. The spaniel came into the fire. Joanna stroked his back. His wavy coat was damp with fog, and he smelled very strongly of dog. He sat down on the hearth, facing the fire, raised his muzzle, and closed his eyes, and gave a great sigh of comfort. Then, all of a sudden, he trotted away and went leaping up the stairs to the bedroom, and Joanna could hear his feet overhead. Phil came in next, his hair sticking to his forehead. He hung his coat on a chair back and said to Joanna, Well, how do you like it here? Oh, it's wonderful, she said earnestly. Uh, it seems to me a queer place, he said, lifting the white-fluted china shade off the lamp and striking a match. Very queer. Uh, so far off, we're marooned. I don't feel there's any other place anywhere, do you? Joanna shook her head and watched him touch the match to the wick and stoop to settle the chimney on its base. When he put on the shade, the soft yellow light caught becomingly on his red head and his narrow face with the sharp cheekbones and the small, deep-set blue eyes. Joanna had known him for years, but she realized, looking at him in the yellow light, that she knew uh, almost nothing about him. Before this, he had been Carol's elder brother. But here, in the unfamiliar surroundings, he was somebody real. She looked away from his lighted face, surprised and wondering. He took his pipe out of his coat and came to the sofa and sat down with a sigh of comfort, exactly like the dogs, sticking his long, thin, booted feet out to the fire, banishing the dark, making the fog retreat. Let's stop there for today. See you again next time. Good night. <laughs>